what I felt like God was asking me to do was was to refocus. And I kind of uh, was thinking about this. I just want to put this out there to all of you. I think in this time, um, we have to understand that we live in the time in human history where we have more things competing for our attention and for our souls, for our minds, for our imaginations than any other time. And so it's really important that we constantly um, think about this idea of returning our focus to the Lord. And so particularly, though, this morning, what I want to talk to you about as the Corvette speeds away uh, on the neighborhood street, um, what I want to talk to you about this morning is the kind of hope that I think we are supposed to build our foundation on. And I had this conversation with this uh, friend of mine who is in his 60s, uh, late 60s, has had an extremely significant life and successful life by all accounts that we would look at. He's followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He's led ministries that, you know, that covered the globe. And he, he was a very uh, successful architect, had done, has done many things in, in his life and has really pursued genuine, Jesus genuinely, somebody I look up to. And I could sense in talking with him that there was this, um, this disappointment. And I know you guys have heard me talk about this, but one of the things that I had this conversation with him about is that the most, this has not always been true, but in the last three to four years of pastoring, the most prevalent problem or most prevalent conversation that I have as a pastor is people battling disappointment where life wasn't ex what they expected it to be. And so I've just had this, this conviction in me to really try to seek the Lord to see what, what is that about? Why is it so universal? Why is it so often that this is, because I mean, there's a many things that could be causing us issues, but this issue seems to be the recurring theme. I don't go a week without talking to like six people about it. And how many of you have felt this in your own, you know, anytime I, even anytime I ask this question, this is the, this is a deal. And it seems to be particularly centered around the, the disappointment or belief that God has promised things to people or to us that he didn't come through on. And, and so I've, I've talked about this from actually a lot of different angles, but I want to talk to you today about a refocusing of the promises that we're believing for in God. And sometimes, um, sometimes when we're walking with God, like He prunes us. He prunes um, things in our life that are sinful. He prunes things in our life that are distracting, that aren't sinful. He also prunes ideas and thoughts that are incorrect about Him and ourselves. How many of you know He prunes us? And, and so one of the things that He prunes and reshapes is our understanding of what He is speaking to us. And I think that we need some pruning in the particular area of what the promises of God are and what they mean. And i give you this example. I was having this conversation with this guy this week who's opening his heart a little bit to the Lord. And 
he has historically been an atheist or an agnostic. He grew up in church, very much a part of church. And he started to describe to me the reasons that he left church or stopped believing in God or whatever that journey was for him. And I said, okay, talk to me about some of the things that made you leave or stop believing or go down a different journey. And, and as he talked to me, I said, listen, all the things that you're describing that you've rejected from your faith growing up are the same things that I've rejected. And so I pointed out to him that maybe it was God within him that was rejecting these things that were falsities about God. And that maybe the rejection of those things was actually bringing him closer to his, to the true faith than further from it. That might be a crazy thought, that somebody going through a stage of unbelief actually is leading them towards a more pure belief. And so, now, you might not become atheist or agnostic. You might not go down that journey. But I do believe that there are times in our life where God so prunes us and so strips us of what we've depended upon that it totally uh, disorients and reorients us. How many of you felt the disorientation and the reorientation? And, and so I, I just want to uh, make this point, and, I, and some of what I'm going to say today is kind of like foundational, basic, like the image that comes to my mind is I remember going to um, basketball camp as a kid up at South Garland right down the street from my house. And it's like we would spend 30 minutes working on a jump stop, on a rebound. And this is this is the, this kind of foundations this morning. And so when, when you look at Jesus, Jesus, um, who is the Christ, came and lived as a man, died like a sinner, rose victorious, and he did not merely do that displaying what morality looked like or displaying what love looked like. Those are elements of what was expressed. He also did that enacting with us a covenant. How many believe we've been grafted into a covenant? And the basis for this covenant, Hebrews uh, 8, 6 tells us, says the ministry of Jesus that has received is superior to their covenant, which he is mediator of, superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Everybody say better promises. So the new covenant is established on better promises. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about better promises and maybe some promises that we're believing in that aren't the best ones. And so I'm going to read to you from 2 Peter 1 through 9, if you want to read along with me. Um, this is a verse we've read before. It says, Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ. He's, he's opening by saying, this is who I am. This is, a, this is a letter that he's written. It says, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everybody say, everything you need. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted, blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So I want to hone in on verses 3 and 4 and repeat them to you. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, that's a lot, but take, take a moment and think about this. So there is a divine nature that God has called us to. How many of you believe God has called you to live out a divine nature? And when we live out of this divine nature... We escape corruption, and we obtain these qualities of godliness that are listed here that I won't relist. But we obtain these qualities, and they come within us in an increasing measure. They expand in us. They're not given to us in full maturity. They, they, they're expanding. And as these qualities increase and mature and manifest in our lives, they allow us to become effective in our life and ministry. How many of you want to be effective in life and ministry? You want to be able to say, I'm not unproductive, but I'm productive in life and ministry. And But all of this divine nature, all of this goodness, this godliness, all of these things start on the basis of the promises of God. So the way that we participate in the divine nature which is that we're being made like Him, is on the basis of the promises that He has given us. And so it starts by receiving promises from God. The issue is, is that a lot of people believe that God has given them promises that He has not followed through with. How many of you have flirted with this idea? That God has given you promises that He has not followed through with. And I want to push on this a little bit because a lot of what we have equated to promises are merely desires and aspirations and dreams in our own lives. And there are desires and aspirations and hopes that we hold and that we pray for that we have equated with the promises of God. And when we equate these prayers to the promises of God, we, cre we create a scenario where we're, we're, we're almost guaranteed for it to look like God has failed us, and we create this psychological distrust with God. And there's distance there. And so, like, while, like anybody, I love the prophetic things that God has spoken over my life. I pray for God's goodness in my life and ministry and my kids. There are a lot of things that we claim to be promises of God that He has not promised to us. Are you with me? And so let me give you this analogy. 
my kids, they always come to me and they say, they say, uh, Dad, you promised we were going to do that the other day. I'm like, I think we like had a conversation about maybe, possibly, but Dad, you promised me. I, well, I did not promise. Like, that's, that's not what happened. We, we had a conversation about it. I mean, you have this with your kids, like the, the everything that we ever talked about is a promise. <laughs> I got a witness over here. And I think this is kind of how we are. And one thing that I've realized is that the greatest violation of hope in your life is believing in a lesser hope. It's not actually like somebody bad things happening to you. It, the greatest violation of your hope, of the foundation of your hope, is putting your faith and trust in lesser hopes. Proverbs 10.28 says, The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. Like, everyone has hopes. Everyone has dreams. Everyone has desires and aspirations and things. And when we, when we get the waters murky with what God has actually promised us and what we're hoping for, like, we, we, we put ourselves in a situation where we can become offended with God. And let me say it like this. We cannot make our prayers God's promises. They are our prayers, and God may answer our prayers, but he will surely follow through with his promises. There is a difference between what you're praying for that is good and acceptable and pleasing to the Lord and what he has actually promised you. And when we conflate this language, when we conflate this understanding, and I've done this myself, we, put ourselves, we set ourselves up for failure in our relationship with God. And so, I, what, what some people do is they have the, the promise that they have in life. And they, they think, well, God told me this business was going to work out. Or God told me this relationship was going to work out. Or God told me whatever. And whenever it doesn't happen or a series of things don't happen, you know what they do? They resort to skepticism. And I'm going to tell you something. Skepticism will not protect you from your pain. Like, skepticism masquerades as wisdom all the time, and the irony of, of skepticism is that it doesn't protect you from your pain. It just causes you to see life as pain. And God has not caused us, called us to see life as pain. And so the focus that I'm wanting to, to call us to is to think through what are the sure promises that we can build the foundation of our life on. These are the fundamentals. This is what I'm talking about. It, because when we build our life upon the existential or unique promises that we think we have, whether it's some sort of aspiration, ministry, business, life thing, if we build our life on those and call that promises, we are like the person who builds their house on sand. It's not the foundation of God. The foundation of God is what He says and responding to what He says. So, let, let, me, let me talk to you about the promises that Scripture gives us that Hebrews is speaking of when it says we've been given better promises. The first one, well, this is a shocking revelation, but the first one is that God has promised us everlasting life and salvation. Like, 
okay, like I need, I, like I need to re- say that again. He- Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ has, was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time. A second time. That means sometime not now. Um, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. How many of you believe you're waiting for him? So yes, have you received salvation? Yes, but we are waiting a greater salvation. And here's what's happened. Um, John, for, I like First John 2.25. It just says it so simple. It says, and this is what he's promised us, eternal life. Um, one of the things that has happened in the church over the, over the last decades is that there had to be a reorientation to Jesus' prayer for heaven to come to earth and for God to do here at what we're believing of him to do and for us not to be waiting for the salvation, us not to be. And what happened is there was this massive overemphasis on what would happen after life, whether I would go to heaven or hell. And the, the implications of it were that the church was just kind of like, all right, I'm waiting till I'm flying away. This this life doesn't matter. Like this isn't important. This you know this world doesn't matter. These these issues don't matter. And so because there was a massive uh, dualism where there was a disconnect between what is what is what is uh, real and can be seen, there was a there was a lessened emphasis on what was going to happen after this life. How many of you have seen this transition in your lifetime, where like? We needed some correction. Every every sermon preached only a message of forgiveness and remittance of sins so that we will receive a salvation one day. And while we're here, it's just going to be all junk anyway, so let's just hang out. And that's, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that God is transforming the world. He's transforming our lives. But what happens when we don't engage, when we have forgotten the truth that there actually is a promise that we're awaiting to be fulfilled is that we get our eyes so fixed on the here and now that when the here and now is not working in our life, we've made this the entirety of our salvation and everything is shaken. Like for me, when when life is difficult, I can lean on this promise that that is that this covenant is based upon that I am promised not just this life, but one that is coming. One that I am waiting for. Now, how could we make sense of the 400 years of slavery that the Israelites went through or the hundreds of years of slavery that African Americans endured in our culture? How can we make sense of those things if we are not to say that they were waiting a greater salvation? That even in their trial and even in their tribulation, which was not relieved, they were awaiting something. Like, there are people in the world who are going through the worst kind of suffering. There are Christians that I've talked to personally that they've seen the, the kind of persecution where their, their fellow Christians were being killed and burned and tortured and all those things. So what do we say? If we say to those people, salvation is only about this life, what do they have to say about their lives? And so... We have to recognize that we have been given a salvation that we are also waiting for. And if we get too fixated on the here and now, we we can become nervous and anxious that we aren't actually grabbing a hold of what's promised. Are you with me? 
Like we have to kind of reintegrate this into our thinking that I am waiting a salvation from God. And okay, that's we'll just we'll we'll just leave that one. Um, the second point, this is all foundational stuff. Here's a second promise for you: is that God will be with us while we're here. That's a promise. God will be with you while you're here. 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. If something is a maybe, it's not the promise of God. Are you with me? If this deal might or might not go through, it's not that God is like, All right, Jordan, I have promised you you're going to close that deal. Like, I do not equate what I'm praying for with a promise from him. What he promises me is that he will be with me. He will be with me. And from an awareness of this promise, when this promise becomes integrated into the foundation, it's easy for me to seek the Lord and read the Bible and pray and seek after him because I'm recognizing that he is right there when I come to the table. Let me tell you something else he doesn't promise. He doesn't promise that you will feel him. How many of you felt the promise of God? Or you felt the presence of God? Yeah, I felt the presence of God. But we have this, we, we have this idea that we, the basis of our life is, is feeling. But he doesn't promise that you'll feel him. He promises that you will, he was present. And so my excitement of coming to the scriptures and coming to prayer isn't, it isn't that like I'm going to show up and I'm going to get like this, like levitated into a, another reality. My promise is that he is present. And if that becomes so integrated in my thinking, I will feel compelled to come before him because I know this promise is sure. Are you with me? And, and um, I think sometimes in the presence of God, we make too much out of the feeling of his presence. And I believe in that. I believe like I've, I've had experiences with God. I've had, you know, crazy encounters with God. But my life is not built upon those feelings. My life is built on the truth of his presence, not the experience of his presence. Are you with me? So when you integrate this into your, into your thinking of what promise is, then, then life is sustainable from a day to day. I'm not just awaiting something. Life is sustainable. I can wake up and know that he is present. All right. Last thing I'm going to mention, I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer, is that Scripture tells us that God will reconcile all things to himself. For Colossians 1.20 says, And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things are on heaven or earth, by making peace through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. The, the third promise that I want to mention to you this morning is that God is reconciling all things in his judgment, his mercy, and his love. In who he is, he's reconciling all things through his blood to himself in heaven and earth. We're not just talking about the sin and salvation of humanity. We're talking about the entirety of the cosmos. He is reconciling all things. Now, the reason it's important for us to focus on this promise is because some of us see the problems of this world and we have so much angst in our hearts. 
Like, how could that be? How could this be reality? How could this be okay? And then we might even take upon our responsibility that we're the ones who are going to fix it all. And you know what? You find out, how many of you have ever tried to fix a big problem? You hardly ever get there. Like, you just, like, you just touch the surface. So if we have this belief that we're the reconcilers, then we miss that the promise is that he will reconcile all things. Now, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, but who is going to bring all things into himself? Now, maybe you're not like this, but I'm the kind of person that whenever I watch the news or when I hear somebody's story and it's really awful, like I have to have like a conversation with God. I'm like, God, how can you have a universe where that is that could happen? Like that creates angst in me. And I have to remind myself that, my, that his promise is somehow, in a way that I don't understand, he is going to reconcile all things to himself. And I'm not the one who's going to have the philosophical answer or solve the problem, but he has given me the ministry of reconciliation. Okay. So, here's what I want to talk about. This is the word that I thought of. It's kind of a hope violation. It's where our hope has been lost or violated or affected. And what happens is it feels like our hearts are torn. There's like disintegration. Like we don't know how to move forward. We, we, we're questioning. We live in this space of like, I don't know what's up or down. And it's a hope violation. And what, what has happened is that we have allowed other things that aren't God's promises be that which we build our Christian life on. You cannot build your Christian life on your unique, whatever it is, special. God's going to use all these things. He'll use your gifting. He'll use your prayers. He'll use your ministries and your businesses and your ideas. But those aren't the promises that we take our life and build them on. And we have to refocus ourselves towards the promises that we know are sure and precious and that when we, when we build upon these, we participate in the divine nature and these qualities of godliness expand in us so that we can be effective and productive. But if you build on the wrong promises, you will be ineffective and unproductive. And you will look back and you will find not, not peace but angst. You'll look back and you'll find not hope but disappointment. You'll look back and you won't feel kept followed through with. You'll feel let down. Because there is a psycho, there's a psychological component to this. So whatever we portray God to be, we feel like He's the one who's not followed through when that's not the case. We've just conflated our prayers with His promises. And so... I'd like, to, I'd like to ask us, um, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want, I want you to just ask the Lord this question. What hope are you building your life on? What hopes are you building your life on? Because I feel like God wants to make an exchange with us from lesser promises to better promises. I just want you to have a moment and pray on this.
just keep closing your eyes. Raise your hand if something like was highlighted to you specific, like there's some sort of hope that was really, okay, number of you. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want, I want to ask you just to hold, hold these things up. Like if you're, if you're imagining holding this idea, I want you to imagine holding this up to the Lord and giving to Him what you're holding on to and receiving from Him what He is giving you. Because I believe that God wants to restore foundations this morning. Give to Him what you're holding and receive from Him what He is giving. So Holy Spirit, I pray that we would not stop praying, we would not stop believing for the unique things that we are praying for, but that we would build the foundation of our lives on the sure promises of God. That we would not conflate our prayers, aspirations, dreams, and desires with your promises. And that we would not inflate our ego to be bigger than you. I pray that you would ground us in humility and that you would ground us on the promises of God so that every person here can participate in the divine nature and have godliness increasing so that they may be effective and productive in you. In Jesus' name, amen.